0: You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. We were coming to the end of 1 Corinthians, and it's really, I felt God a long time ago say First 1 Corinthians is where we need to be, and it's been good for us. But before we get into today's text in chapter 15, let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever had a dream that was like super real, and it literally changed your next day? Like, so maybe it was a good dream, like you won a million bucks, right, and you woke up from whatever that thing was that you got in your dream, something really good, and you woke up and you realized you didn't have it or it didn 't happen, and your whole day was ruined right because, anybody know what I'm talking about like like man, that didn 't happen like i 've had plenty of those dreams usually it 's kind of weird, it just exposes my heart a little bit. I dream all the time that my wife gets me all the books off my Amazon wish list, and I wake up and they're not they 're not on my dresser, and i 'm like i 'm weird like that, like I have those kind of dreams, right. And, like, the, my day is ruined. But how many of you guys have had the other thing where something really, really bad happened in your dream and it changed your whole day? Like, you were like, you got into a car accident or somebody you know, somebody that you love was in a fight with you. They just started, like, yelling at you for no reason. And, like, you woke up grouchy at that person even though they didn't do anything. You know what I'm talking about? This happened about a month and a half ago with my wife. She was mad at me. And I'm like, that didn't happen. You know that, right? Like, I didn't say that to you, it was a dream. I know, but I'm still pretty mad. Like, what? like, like that, that happens though. Like, we get these dreams and we get these things, and like, if that happened, if that reality was real, my life would be different. My days different because I think it could have been real, right? In First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Paul talks about, he reminds us of the gospel. He says, look, there was witnesses to that. It happened. And then this is where we're going to pick up today in verse 12. And Paul basically says, look, if this is what the case is, it changes everything. Let's look in verse 12, chapter 15, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you is a gift to you. Uh, We want you to have one that you can read personally. Um, We believe, I say this before, like nobody in here would go a week without eating a meal, right? So why do we do that spiritually? We don't live off of bread, but we live off of every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So I want to encourage you. That right there is your buffet for the week. Take it with you if you don't have one. Anyway, side note. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, if he's risen, if he's come back with life, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, those who have died, right? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's stop there. There's this thing in the Corinthian culture. There's this argument even in Jewish culture at the time about whether resurrection happens, whether it can happen, whether there is this life after death, what that looks like. And Paul says, look, if you guys are going to live in your community and buy into this local thought that Christ was a good person, taught good morals, but he's not alive now, that has severe ramifications, right? If he is not alive, if he has not been resurrected, if there's no resurrection at all, if it can't happen, right, then Christ hasn't resurrected. And if Christ has resurrected, man, our faith is junk, I want to look at a few points that if Christ did not raise, what that means for us. If he didn't, right? First, if he didn't happen at all, then then honestly, most people who say that he is just a spiritual guru, they're right. And that makes our faith, everything that we do on a Sunday morning, a waste of time. Right? It means that we are still... Sinners separated from God. We are completely cut away from Him if Christ has not been resurrected. Why? Because sin has not been beaten. Sin has not been conquered. Right? If Christ rose, He conquered death. We see in Scripture that the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. The curse of sin is death. So, if He has not beaten death, If he has not been resurrected, then sin's curse has not been broken. And if sin's curse is not broken, you're still sinners in front of God. So you are separated, alienated, cut off, distant. He does not have relationship with you at all, right? This is what Paul tells them. So if we want to go down this track, people, and think that Jesus was a good spiritual guru who didn't raise from the dead, then you are still in your sins. Number two. If he didn't raise, then we are a bunch of liars. It's not just liars, but we lie about God, right? How many of you guys have ever like, met somebody, like they're telling you a story and you know this is completely misrepresentation of somebody that you know and love? Like they're basically just lying to you about somebody that you trust. Has anybody ever had that? Like, they're telling you a story. Like, I've had that many times, especially as a pastor. People think that if they come to my church that I want to hear gossip about some other pastor. I'm like, no, I don't really. I I don't. And you're talking about my friend, and I know that's not true of my friend. And if it is true, let's call him. We'll meet up with him. We'll we'll hash this thing out. I would rather have you lie about me than lie about somebody that I trust and love, right? How many men would rather be lied about than have your wife be lied about? You will throw down if somebody says a word about your wife, right? Paul says, you know, not even are we liars, which is bad, but we lie about God. We misrepresent him and God's God. (laughs) I don't know how else to say that. It's a big deal. So if Christ isn't resurrected, we are not only silly in thinking that we are with Christ, we are bad, bad liars (laughs) about God. It's a big deal. God is perfect. God is holy. And we would lie about Him? We would misrepresent who He is if Christ isn't resurrected? Number three, if if He hasn't resurrected, then those who believed in Him, your family members who trusted Christ as their Savior, as their hope, He says them, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who came to faith in Christ, those who have died in Him, they're done so your dream your hope to one day see your family member in glory like we all want to sing about we all want to talk about and when we mourn we mourn like those who have no hope right basically he says if christ is not resurrected we are hopeless that family member that friend who died you will never see again this is sad news right you're feeling the weight of this I'm sure we all have somebody that we know came to faith at some point in their life to Christ and we can't wait to see them again. We hope and we know that they are with Christ. But he says if, if this isn't true, then they're just done. And you will never see them again. It's sad news. It's over. Number four. If Christ is only about living a better life now, and when we die, there's nothing. He says this, then we are to be the most pitied. How many of you guys have ever been watching TV and the SPCA commercial comes on, right? <laughs> Those animals. In the arms of the angel. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, just like, I can't do this. My, my soul cannot handle this. So you turn that channel quick. That's me anyway. The moment that dog shows up with the tears and like the dirt on his face, I'm like, not, not happening. Not happening. That's, I can't do it today. We see people in our society, we, we feel this empathy, this pity. Like, man, I wish somebody would take that animal in. Let me give him a hug. I'll give him a bath. I'll take care of him. Sarah McLaughlin says so. Let's do this. Right? We pity animals. And then when we're in the streets of New York, unless you're like cold-hearted, you see the broken, right? Everywhere you go, you see broken people, unless you become callous to it. But like there's something in me that has empathy. Paul says, though, if our faith is in something that hasn't happened, we are the most pitied of all of creation. We are the dumbest, broken, stupid people on the face of the earth. We are the SPCA commercial. We are that, we are that one that the whole world looks at and says, man, we should feel sorry for them. They're so confused. They're believing in a resurrected Savior. They believe they're going to live again, and they're wrong. Does that make sense? Paul says if that's the case, we are the most pitied of all of society. If Christ is not raised from the dead. In our culture, there are many who want to take Christianity and re- reduce it down to this form of spirituality for this world right now. That why we live, up until the day we die, Christianity is a set of moral ethics that help us to live a better quote-unquote life, right? That Christianity is one of many ways of spirituality. Every way is a good way. Every way eventually gets us somewhere, and it's all relative, right? If it's right for you, then it's right, which doesn't make any logical sense, but that's what the argument of culture is today. Paul says if Christ is not resurrected, that we're, we're a mess. Our culture today wants to tell us, look, he's just a good spiritual teacher. The Bible is just a nice code. It's got some messed up things that we can't explain and our culture wants to argue against. And so don't buy into it completely. Like, Just live, you know, whatever's good for you is good for us, you know, no big deal. I would say that our culture wants to do the same thing that the people around Corinth was trying to do to the church of Corinth, that Christ isn't who he says he is. He was good, but that's it what happens then is if we live with that mindset that Christ hasn't resurrected and there's no resurrection for us and there's nothing after this, when we live with that place, basically we take all of our faith and we apply it to our behavior and what happens in this life is that we've applied to ourselves some kind of moral superiority over other people. And so the best thing that we can hope with our faith is that we feel better about ourselves than we look at other people, which is basically pride. And pride, I would say, is the founder of sin. It's like the base work of sin. That makes sense? We live in a world today that desires the same thing. It's that coexist thing. And I'm not saying, uh, believe me, we should love, Pastor Don was talking last night, the way to win the loss is not yelling, screaming, bullhorn, and judgment. It's loving all those people, but knowing we have the way. Yeah. There's not one way among many, it's the way. And if this way is wrong, then we are ridiculous. We have the way. This is the world that we live in. Let's read, continue on here. Now everybody's kind of like, man, whew, this could be a mess, people. I don't know about this thing. I'm pitied. No, right, Let's continue on. Verse 15. Which I lost my page. There we are. Verse 20, I mean. But in fact, but in fact, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has ex- accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are in subjection to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Let's stop there. So I know there's a lot of subjection and a lot of under, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> there's a lot of that. Let me explain. Let me, let me go back. First off, he says, but in fact, it did happen. Everybody can breathe. We just had that punch in the gut, one, two, three, four. Man, what happened to our faith? And he says, but in fact, it did happen. Right? That's the good news. I should see some people happy right now. I'm not seeing what I'm, Okay, but in fact, it did happen. Okay, wow. You guys are not picking up on my hues here. It happened. And it says he's the first fruits. How many of you guys are, um, are into gardening or planting or, or at least pretend you are a little bit. Okay, I see three or four hands. I know Joe is. Joe, can I share your story? Yes. Okay. Um, so Joe in home group confessed to us something we didn't know, that he enjoys gardening, and he's got his secrets, and he's got his little patch. And you said this last year you grew watermelons for the first time, right? And he saw this watermelon come up, this first one, and this one was like big, right? You said it was pretty big. And you and Hannah were amped up. You're like, this is our baby. Yeah. It's a watermelon. It's the first fruits. It's the first watermelon they cut into. It was the big one, right? They cut it in half. It was completely green. He said to me, I'm not kidding. He said, it felt like we lost a child that day. It was like something that we had put our energy into, right? It was just gone. It was just green, green, big watermelon. No good. Here Paul says Jesus, his resurrection is the first one that sprouts up of the resurrection of the dead we are the rest of the crop we are the ones who come alive in him he is the first one to ever do it so the resurrection of the dead isn't something impossible it was impossible until god made it possible through christ that's the good news that our faith is built on if that did not happen sin is not defeated the cross was just something where a good man got persecuted not a good man a perfect man But he beat death and resurrected. That stone was rolled away. He came through victorious and the first fruit of the resurrection that we get to partake in. That's the good news. We will do the same one day. We will be the rest of the crop. He was the first fruits. I pointed out those four different areas, right? There's four different aspects if our faith was built on a, a faith that wasn't real. But since it has come, since it has been accomplished, our faith is of the ultimate value and our sins are gone. Completely gone. We are not separated from God. We are reconciled to a perfect, holy God. You bear no sins today. This is not something future tense. This is something present. You are washed in God's blood today at this moment there's no separation. That's good news because that's the facts. Point number two, we are not liars about who God is. We are not misrepresenting misrepresenting him, but as we see in Scripture, we are his ambassadors. We bear his image. We display the fullness of the Father everywhere we go. Pastor Don last night spoke about not how God doesn't have love, but he is love. And so we will be known by our love for one another. So you and I, we're not liars about God. When we walk in love, we walk in the identity of God to the world, and people see him as he is through us. That's what you get to do. That's what we get to partake in now, right? Amen? I hope you believe in that. Because some of you guys are like, I believe you can, and maybe not me. I think you can. I know you can because it's what the Scripture tells us. We are His ambassadors. We are co-heirs. We are hidden in Christ. You're not hidden in your shame. You're not hidden in your guilt. You're not hidden in your past sin. You are hidden in the identity of Christ now. That's a good no- note that I just thought of right now. So that's a, a bonus and a... I don't think you were excited as I am right now about that. <laughs> you're hidden in Christ right now. That's you're clothed in him. Amen. Point number 3, your loved ones. Those that you've mourned over, those that you've been separated from who are in Christ. You will see. You will partake as we took that cup this morning, remembering that meal that's come th- that is to come, you will share in that meal with them. They are not gone. They are not done. They are in Christ. And we will celebrate when we are resurrected together with them, whatever that looks like. I, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But we will celebrate with them so we don't mourn, like Scripture says, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. The rest of the world who doesn't know Christ, they mourn without hope. I know our society makes, wants to make everybody, well, they were a good person, so I'm sure they're on the harp, playing a harp somewhere, and we will all play harps. That's not the Scripture. Do they come to a faith in Christ? If so, we don't mourn the same way the rest of the world does. We have hope. We know what we're going to do. We're no, we know we will see them. So because he is who he says he is, he was resurrected, he's the first fruits, you will see your family member, you will see your friend, you will see that mentor in your life, you will see that person who loved God, who knew who he was, you will see them and celebrate with them again. We have hope. And four, we are not to be pitied. We are the ones who should look at the world not through eyes of condemnation, but through eyes of remorse and brokenness for them. I want you to know who he is. I, that person who's broken, who, who's living in sin, and who their whole life is a mess, and they're struggling with addictions, and they're struggling with identity issues, and they're struggling with whatever sin we want to look at. Our hearts should break for them because they're the ones to be pitied. They're the ones who don't have the hope that we do. They have not come to know that the resurrection did happen, and it's for them. It's for them. I've said this before, but we cannot expect broken people to live like they're whole. We can't expect the lost to live as if they know a loving, perfect Savior. Why would I expect somebody to be broken as, to live as if they're put together? Instead, when I see them in their brokenness, I should see their brokenness for what it is. It's sin that hasn't been covered by Christ yet, and they don't know their identity in him. That makes sense? So when you go to work this week, and your boss who's an atheist, or not even an atheist, just doesn't know what he is, and he's n- never experienced the love of Christ, or maybe he grew up in a Catholic church, but he's never really known what this means, whatever. Maybe he grew up in a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church, and he never really experienced the love of God in him, and he's living out of brokenness and not out of identity. We, instead of having anger against them, should have love toward them and pity them. And like that dog in the SPCA commercial, we should want to go and clean them up, help them out, bring them into a good home, Right? That home is supposed to be the church. That home is not not the church, this building, the church, the body of Christ. We are supposed to bring them in and love them and fix them and care for them, feed them, water them. Not kick them out. Not reject them anymore. I don't expect broken people to live as if they're not broken. But there's more. We're not done today. That's the good news, right? So we we don't live like those who have no hope. We trust in the resurrection. We see in the last passage that we talked about that there were hundreds of witnesses to Christ, and we'll talk about that in a minute. There's more. Every Jew in that time, right, was waiting for this promised Messiah to come and fix the broken world, right? They were waiting for this. They were waiting for this messianic figure to come and make all things right. That passage says that everything, all of creation, will be under Christ, will put it under his rule, and he will put it under the rule of the Father. So it's all in subjection to him. It's all under his feet. Make sense? It's all under the Messiah's feet. That every area, every area of brokenness, every area of disease and poverty and sin and sickness and hatred and war will be realigned in the perfect peace and shalom of the Father the way it was intended to be. It'll be put under his rule and his leadership. That will happen. So Paul says, we were waiting for this day. He came, he died, he did what he needed to do as the first fruits, to resurrect. And he will come again to put all things back. So the promise is happening. We saw the beginning stages of it, he tells them. We all witnessed this thing. A bunch of people have witnessed this thing. So he's not... In the ground somewhere, we're not still waiting for the Messianic ruler. He has come, and he will come again. That's the good news of the gospel. That is good news this morning. Can I give you a little bit more good news for us? I I really believe that the church needs to be empowered and not just spectators in this whole mission of the gospel, right? So in verse 25, verse 25, let's read that together. For he... Must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. Psalms 8 is this prophetic word from the psalmist about the Messiah, about this one to come, right? And it says that he will make, he will put everything under subjection to him, right? Verse 25. It'll put his enemies under the feet. That's in Psalms 100. So when the Jewish hearers are hearing Paul, he is quoting a scripture that they know, right? Make sense? So if I quote to you something that we say all the time, you know where it's coming from. Paul was doing the same thing here. We just missed that in our translation. Paul is quoting Psalms 100 about the Messiah, right? So he says that when he comes, because he's the first fruit... And there's this hope of him putting everything together. He's going to put all the enemies under his feet. And then the next thing here, it says, but then sin, the last to be destroyed, in verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 27, I want you to look at this. For God, quotes, this is quotes now. God has put all things under subjection, or in subjection under his feet, end quotes. That is another quote that they would have understood. This is from Psalms 8, and I want you to look at this. Psalms 8, we're going to read this together. To the choir master, according to Griff, whatever that name is, Giddeth, the psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes. still the enemy and the avenger. When I looked at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. He's talking about God. who's put these things in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Go to verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings, and you have crowned him, man. You have crowned man, him, with glory and honor. Verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand, and you have put all things under his feet. Verse 7. All the sheep and the oxen and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who are we talking about here? Who who are the things under the feet? It's not Christ. It's not the Messiah. This is man. He says, I'm putting the enemies of God under the Lord's feet, the Messiah's feet, and under man's feet is the earth. We have dominion. God's saying here through Paul to the church of Corinth, when he returns, he is realigning the structure that we are supposed to have. It's all the enemies come under subjection, so sickness, death. It says in the middle there, death, the final enemy, is destroyed. So death is destroyed. Everything falls in line under God, under Christ, then under man. And we have authority then. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, the sea, Over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You and I, in creation, we were given authority over creation. And when sin entered, we were robbed of it. But because Christ has resurrected, He's the first fruits of it, not only is sin and death defeated and put under subjection under the kingship of God, but we are reinstated as lords over the earth. This is good news. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, what does that mean? Do I, am I like Sophia the First? I, mean, uh, I have kids, sorry. Where I can talk to the animals? That's not the point, people. That's not the point. I have kids. Sophia the First, she got the little ambulance. She can talk to the birds. It's weird. Anyway, sorry. St. <laughs> Francis, right? He was ministering to the birds, right? Is it, I don't know what that means. All I know is we're put in our rightful place. Death is gone. The things that we say have value. Our faith is of the utmost worth. And we are put in our position of authority on the earth. We are not subject to earthquakes. We are not subject to hurricanes. We are not subject to wild animals. We are not subject to famine. But we rule and reign over the earth and all of creation that we are on. That is what the kingdom of God coming looks like. It's not just harps and clouds. It's not just singing. That's a part of it. But we rule and reign over the earth that we were intended to have dominion over. That's the good news of the gospel. Some of you guys are like, wait a minute. I don't know about this. You're freaking me out this morning. We get our rightful place back because he has resurrected. At the last the last to, death is, the last to die is death so many of us have felt the blow of of this enemy of life we have all in some way been impacted by death it's the enemy of humanity it is the great adversary it's the foe against us we will no longer feel it you will no longer feel death we had a taste of what is to come in Christ's resurrection death has no power we're going to finish this chapter. Um, not, not the chapter. We're going to finish this thought today. Worship team, you can go ahead and come forward. We're going to read a passage that's really weird. <laughs> can we do that? you guys excited for something weird? Not, some of you guys are like, wait a minute. I was already freaked out. When you said that that passage was about us rolling over the earth, I was already freaked out. But well, we're going to freak you out a little bit more. I don't know all the answers to this, but here we go. Verse 29, right? Continuing the thought here. Otherwise, You guys all ready? You guys ready for this? I don't want you to miss this, because it's weird. (laughs) Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast of Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. This I say to your shame. What? <laughs> the dead, people are baptizing for the dead? Like, what does this mean? And there's, there's discussion about this. There's not a whole lot of clarity, but basically what most theologians believe is people were coming to faith in Christ, receiving him, they would die, and then they would die before they were baptized. And so other believers were like, well, they were in Christ, so we're going to be baptized on their behalf because we want the world to know that they were a part of the family of God, right? Does that make sense? We don't really practice that. But Paul, and Paul doesn't tell us to do that. That's not the point here. He says, if you're going to have these practices, right, If you're going to culturally do this thing where you're being baptized on behalf of the dead and there's no resurrection, why are you doing that? That's basically what he's saying. Why why are you doing the things you do? And I would say this this morning, we're not baptizing people on behalf of the dead. At least I don't know of anybody who is. We've never done it at City Lights. Don't plan on it. Um, But I would say there's a lot of Christians who do things they do and there's not really a hope inside of them of resurrection or the, the reign of Christ, right? They're doing it more out of tradition more out of ritual <coughs> more out of a spiritual thing to do and Paul says if you're doing things out of a spiritual thing to do but you don't really understand the intention there why, or the meaning behind it, why even do it at all? Why, why are you doing it? I think, I mean I could go off on a tangent of a lot of areas that by default you just get into this religious mode and you kind of do things and i do the same thing where it's just a natural habit that i put myself but if i'm not thinking about the ultimate purpose the joy that is to come the reason that we celebrate then these things are just kind of silly traditions right paul paul's saying like if you're going to do that and yet not believe in the resurrection you're missing the point like does that make sense it's a weird verse i know Our life has to be in response to the resurrected Christ. Then he says this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But do not be deceived. Be, be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your, your drunken stupor, as is right. Do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. What he does there is he quotes a pagan Greek poet named Menander right? He quotes a pagan poet to them and says, look, if there's no resurrection, do whatever you want now because when we die, we die. But then this is the, this is the quote, bad company cr- corrupts good morals. The pagans understood that bad people corrupt their beliefs, their morals, their, their, in, their internal judgment, right? And Paul's saying to them, look, even the Greeks know that. So here we are, believers in the resurrection. Our whole faith is founded on this. We put ourselves with friends and influences, and all of a sudden we're questioning the, the resurrection. All of a sudden our morals are being corrupted because we've been in a society that says, the resurrection of the dead doesn't happen. And our entire faith is built on the fact that it does, that it did and it will. Everything we stand on is built on this one fact. You pull that away, we're, we're just silly goof, goofballs on a Sunday morning, and I dance for no reason at all. Just, just being honest. He says basically what he's saying here, and I'm gonna, we're gonna this is where we're gonna end. You have the ultimate reason to live a life in Christ because it happened and it's gonna happen. We celebrate a victory, so stop letting everybody else quench your victory, quench your testimony, and change your perspective on the resurrected Christ. Change your perspective on the world that we live in. It says, wake up out of your drunken stupor. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. When we look at the broken people, when we look at our friends and our loved ones and our family and our co-workers who don't know a resurrected Savior, and they are quenching our testimony... We should look at them and say, they don't know him. And that's to my shame because I haven't declared him. I haven't vocalized that the resurrection happened, that I will rule and reign with Christ. I am a co heir in him. I am an ambassador of a resurrected living savior, and nothing you can say will change my mind. Because if we live any other way, then we have a lot of shame to wear. And we don't walk in shame. And there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But Paul says there's shame for us because we should be broken for the lost. He says, don't let your culture, Corinthians, don't let Corinth change what you know. Don't let these sophists, these wise men come in your community, cause division. Everybody thinks they're so spiritual, but you're doing nothing because you don't believe in a resurrection. Why? Church, I want to I encourage you that the resurrection has happened. We have a purpose in our life. We have a hope for the life after this. We will be resurrected in Christ when he returns. We will rule and reign with him. This is good news. And we should desire that all of Scranton knows who he is, that they share in this too. Last night, Pastor Don said, about God's love is what's going to change this city. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. But it's going to change it, not just because love is a good idea, but because a resurrected Savior, a forgiving Savior, and His love is reality. It's real, and it should saturate every area of my life it should saturate our homes it should saturate our marriages it should saturate our our schools that we go to every area should be saturated by that one fact does that make sense? like man Jesse you're really hammering the resurrection today yes yes I think we grow up a lot of our church culture is all about the cross and I love the old rugged cross it's great but without the tomb that's empty the cross is gruesome and not very good but the tomb's empty. Makes sense. This morning we're gonna sing about that. We're gonna we're gonna finish out our worship with a resurre- with a, a revelation that the tomb is empty. He is who he says he is, and that has significant effect on my life. Does it make sense? I encourage you this morning as we worship. Let's look at our lives. How much of my life is affected? by the fact that he rose again and all those things point one, two, three, four and then all the other ones that we talked about are reality how much of my life has changed on that reality or how much of my life is based on the status quo the, the, the words and the culture of Scranton make sense? let's stand, let's worship if you want prayer you can come grab me but let's just worship let's evaluate our hearts we serve a resurrected king not a dead one and we will be resurrected with him let's worship